Hello, I'm April. And I'm Sarah Nicole. And you are so, so close to listening to RPG Pop Club. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay, we actually are on because we wanted to let you know we now have a Patreon. And we have lots of fun perks. Hey, do you want to hear Phil's real theme song? Do you want to name a shuttle? Or a ship? Or roll your own red shirt who may die gloriously? If so, please join our Patreon. You can join for a dollar or more. Or much more. (laughs) (laughs) Help us, and we will help you by bringing you the content that you deserve. Check out our website for more info. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Bye! (laughs) (laughs) RPG Pop Club! RPG Pop Club! RPG Pop Club! RPG Pop Club! Yeah! Hi, I'm Philip Sokoloff. And I'm Sarah Nicole Carter. And this is RPG Pop Club. Each week we play a Star Trek tabletop RPG adventure. And then we review it. Today we are playing The Drifting Ring. We're joined today by one of our players, April Sokolova, who plays Dr. Triss. (laughs) How are you doing, April? I am doing great. We're laughing because uh, April, uh, I live with April. Uh, so, <laughs> you maybe we might have a thing going. I don't know. Um, How long have so you guys been married? We've 15. been this is fifteen years this year. And yeah. How many babies do you have? Hundred? Uh, too many? Five? Yeah. Just moved into a big new house you bought. We did. Is this the kind of podcast we're doing now? In case anybody wants to know, we have triplets. Because people yes. find that interesting for some reason. Please hire our triplets. They're amazing. <laughs> what? Putting, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Star Trek. Hiring your triplets for Star Trek shows? It could be like aliens. Who do you think is listening to this podcast? <laughs> Hollywood. The suits. <laughs> the suits. The big time. They oh. are. <laughs> And they're going to listen to this podcast and go, oh, I got to hire those triplets for Star Trek shows. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we, we've put together back, we put back together our crew from episode one. You guys remember that? We were all there. We're, we also got Eric Carter here, our excellent producer. Say hello, hello Eric. I, I am also here. I'm in the background. <laughs> Are you guys excited? I live with Eric. Well, yes. We went through this in the ep- first episode, I think. Um, but yeah, we got married. Um, <laughs> anyway, this has gotten silly. Are you guys excited to talk about the Drifting Ring? Oh my yes. god! Yes. This oh, is. Um, this came in the Japanese Star Trek RPG. Um, subtitled Enterprise, and it came out in 1983. And uh, yeah, this was its sample adventure. I think it's super cool. I do too. I like well, this. 
Well, let's and and we what episode did we watch in preparation for this uh, game? It was for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Great episode. Loved it. I like that McCoy was greatly featured. Right. All right, because oh, you're yeah, the doctor in our crew. So here well, you are. He's my favorite anyway. I love McCoy. He's McCoy. great. Is your favorite? Yeah, I mean, you know, I love when um, Captain Kirk rips his shirt every time, but <laughs> McCoy is just, he's uh, hes so snarky and hilarious, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody who can say, I'm a doctor, not an elevator, you know, or I'm sorry, escalator. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry, I can't believe I got no, that No, no, you're fine. Um, but it, anybody who can say, so, like, come on, it's hilarious. No, he's great. I like him a lot too. He's kind of like the Bilbo of the show, right? Everyone else is like super grounded in the like the, the imaginary universe. He's just kind of like our, our surrogate, this guy who's from like the South in the twentieth century. Right? And he doesn't really understand what's going on. He's kind of angry about what everyone's thinking and doing. Doesn't want to use a transporter. He's kind of racist against Mr. Spock. Kind of. Yeah. I more just like to get his goat or like to try to provoke an emotional response. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, because Spock is half human. Yep. And he's repressing he? that side. <laughs> yeah. And so oh, McCoy is trying to like poke holes in that, I think. I love that you love McCoy. I, I did not know that he was your favorite. Oh, yeah. He just, he adds that extra, I don't know, um, groundedness to to the original series i think yeah i like him a lot i like that he's exasperated half the time yes it's awesome that's how i feel in real life exactly exactly because <laughs> <laughs> philip's always so logical so i have to be, contradict him with all kinds of emotional garbage <laughs> so it's great <laughs> so in the episode he gets a great like love arc and then like at the which is so so poignant because he's also dying and whatever. And then at the end he's just like, Welp, see you later. We we talked about this in our last episode. We can talk about it more. But um sure. Talk. Well, okay, first I asked Eric like three times who his favorite character was, and we had no response. So Eric, you're allowed to speak. Oh. Oh gosh. I my favorite character is the combination of Sulu and Chekhov. Oh, oh they, that's the most weird harder answer I've ever <laughs> Because I well, we just watched a muck time, which is the first episode in which Chekhov appears, and the whole time it's like there's all this big drama happening. Spock is dying. What's going on? Why would he talk about this secret Vulcan ritual? Um, and and Kirk is like, we have this big. We have to go to. Um, the plan for the big diplomatic mission. No, we have to go to Vulcan. We have to be good big planet. And the whole time, all that is happening, like above everyone's heads. There's Chekhov and Sulu, like looking at each other, like uh, better, better put in a heading for Vulcan just in case. And it's like it's already been plotted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're just they're just doing their jobs while all this crazy stuff is happening all around them, and they're just kind of like looking at each other, giving themselves like looks and like half smiling at each other be like well guess we better go do it okay all these crazy this crazy high drama things happening around them and they're just there doing their jobs 
And then all of a sudden Sulu is like, oh yeah, all by the way, I can fence and I'm just gonna go nuts about that. Um, <laughs> so I just I just love them. I, I think they're great. So Sarah Nicole, your favorite is Mr. Spock. I'm That's pretty true. sure. And and you're playing the Vulcan in our crew, Vulcan First Officer. April, your favorite is Bones McCoy, and you're playing the Doctor. Eric, your favorite is Zulu, <laughs> and you're playing the Helmsman. So this is fortuitous. Philip, who's your favorite? Captain Kirk. Kirk. And Obviously. you're playing the DM. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, I don't know. Controlling for, for the while, situation, bending the rules. For a while, the Aaron was calling me the Q entity. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. I don't know. There isn't really a Q entity in the original series, but... Um, there is. There's that one planet where the guy is... Yeah, there's Trelane, of course. Yeah, there you go. That's the one. It, but would you, would you think of me as Trelane? I don't want to say he's my favorite character. He's kind of like a... He turns out to be a kid of like the, these god entities. Yeah, I think... I mean, I think Q's his own thing. And I think you're not being like Q at all, actually. So... Because he's he's doing it for like curiosity and for his own amusement, and that's not what you're about. Well, I am highly amused. <laughs> but he was going by his own rules, and you have like a, a set set of rules, and you were, you know. When you're bending the rules, it's because it's it's for a, a reason that makes sense and serves the crew. Mm. And the ship is what Kirk is all about. Right? Yeah. yeah. I like I like all the characters, but really the big it's the big three for me. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and Scotty. I love when Scotty's in command of the ship because he's just so like <laughs> Scotty. He's just got that like that grin and he's just takes no BS. I like Scotty too, but we just watched that episode with the with Apollo in it. I don't know the title of the episode. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Who mourns for Adonais? Yeah, and I was like, Scotty, you got to get off that archaeologist. You got to start disobeying orders because you think she's hot. Like his was- his romance plots are always cringy for sure. But because that and then like Kirk always just swoops right in too, and he's just like, Hey, <laughs> hey, are you okay? Have you noticed my charisma? <laughs> it's off the charts. <laughs> and you're a blonde girl, and we used one of those soft filters on you, which means you're mine, baby. <laughs> he, does, he does that a bit in um, For the World is Hollow and I've Touched the Sky, doesn't he? He, like, grabs the woman and, like, mansplains to her. Kirk explains. <laughs> Kirk explains. <laughs> in the episode, the, ti- the title you just said, Brilliantly, and then I don't. I still don't remember, even though you said it um, with Apollo in it. That yeah. is a good checkoff episode. It is a what? Good checkoff mm-hmm. episode because he's like saying all this smart stuff, and Kirk's like, "How old are you?" He's <laughs> 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 well, he's he's kind of like he's a, he's the only ensign in the ship, and there's quite a few episodes where he's like in school with with Kirk and Spock. <laughs> And and they're like, you know, and, and so what is a procedure when you're approaching a space station? We saw that in The Trouble with Tribbles, right? There's a whole scene at the beginning. Good stuff. 
Anyway, well, so we like we like all the characters we decided, and we're all playing the character we like the best in our own campaign. Very good. <laughs> um, well, and we wanted to talk more about McCoy getting married and then leaving his wife and then immediately standing with those two girls with the little feathers on their boobs from the cabaret <laughs> in the next episode. That was, that's not the next episode, but yeah. It's pretty close. It's no, like, that's in season one, and and the other episode is in season three. Really? Yeah. All right, fine, fair. Anyway, what I also want to talk about was the D and D ishness of the episode because they're going like there's they're, they they go in especially into the command center. It's not really a command center at first; it's like a shrine. But then there's hidden books, you know, like moving mm-hmm. panels and like diagrams and the secret button to open up a chamber and like lightning attacking them and stuff. It's like, an, it's, it's like tomb of horrors. Yeah. Ah, totally. What a yeah. good point. I didn't even think of that. It's very cool. And then they're in that one room and the other room because budget. For the yeah. Episode. They had like three rooms for the whole episode, maybe four. Uh, but it is indeed like, that's a great point. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and prescient because this episode this adventure that we played is also D&D-ish. Mm. Well, you we'll get to how that. He brings it all together everybody. Why Very don't good, Why don't we recap our gameplay of this episode of this adventure, The Drifting Ring. Let's by, do it. By Tama Yutaka. Stardate, 7209.6. Record of Commander McDonald. We are in pursuit of a spectacle beyond compare. The Cody discovered it while exploring within UFP territory near the Klingon border. It possessed a remarkable velocity that in many ways could not be believed. Jensen judged that it must be an artificial satellite powered by some kind of technology. But the size. It did not seem conceivable to me that this was a ship dozens of times larger than our own Cody. Once it was before our eyes, however, our suspicions were confirmed. This enormous Taurus with a diameter larger than 10 kilometers is before us. Triss calls it the drifting ring. However, the ring is hurtling towards Klingon territory. This is our pretext and we have no way of knowing how they will react. We must investigate and stop the ring. And we must do it quickly as possible. I I, I gave Dave a bit of a, a pep talk there to, to really ham up his reading of the commander's log this time. <laughs> Very good. Well, shall we shall we meet the uh, do our landing party segment? This is where we meet all the uh, adventurers on this expedition. Let's do it. Real name, Dave. I play Lieutenant Colin McDonald of Clan Ronald. I am acting commander. Hi, I'm Ava, and I play Ensign Ingrid Jensen. She is a half Romulan Scandinavian science officer aboard the USS Cody. So my name is Dree. I'm a lieutenant Igor Petrenko from Ukraine. 
This is, uh, my name is John. I am Cadet Alejandro Roca Solano. I'm from Spain. I'm in the engineer department. Uh, I am Ensign Valentin Laurent. I am Ensign De Los Santos. So my name is uh, Trist. I'm a doctor. Um, I'm Argelian. So I'm a Vulcan. My name is Tapru. Great. So because the ring was drifting into Klingon territory, where it would no doubt be destroyed, the Prime Directive allowed Starfleet to interact with any potential inhabitants of the ring in an effort to redirect it. The crew split up into three away teams. Captain McDonald assigned Dr. Trist, Lieutenant Laurent, and Lieutenant Tapru to lead the away teams. Lieutenant Laurent's team included Lieutenant Petrenko with his rifle and Commander McDonald. Jensen volunteered to join Lieutenant Tapru, so of course her paramour, De Los Santos, had to join them as well. Dr. Triss asked Rocco Solano to join her, and redshirt Samuel Brown was assigned to her squad. Uh, Game Master's note, in order to have three characters in each group, Aaron was asked to play as both De Los Santos and redshirt Samuel Brown. So, Tapru's team beamed onto the ring. All right, you guys, are, you find yourselves in what, what definitely feels like a an outdoor area. Like it's, it's um, thank you. There we go, I was for that. Yeah. Uh, should, we have, should we have the third group beam in as well before we start to describe this so that way everybody's here? Nope. <laughs> nope. Okay. Um, so you guys, are, you guys are in an outdoor area, like, uh, like you're in a wilderness. You can, you can smell kind of fresh air, um, and you can hear life forms of some sort, birds or something, bats, I don't know. Obviously not, you know, Earth native. But uh, but you're in complete darkness. Uh, yeah, McGillicuddy here. Uh, just be on alert. The uh, vessel is uh, has no lights inside. Bring artificial light. Please notify the away team to bring uh, flashlights. The three teams beamed down, and each one went in a different direction. Laurent's team went to the north towards a river. Tapru's team went southeast to some hills, and Dr. Triss's team headed northeast to some mountains. The teams wandered the wilderness for a while, exploring the local flora and fauna. Are there any blue flowers that sing? I'm going to... Um... <laughs> Yes, there are blue flowers that, that sing. Okay. I have nice. to have that moment where I go up and touch the flower for a minute. <laughs> that was a gentle caress right there. Let's see that again. <laughs> I think I was a little tuned out at the moment. Of course, the flowers stop singing when you touch them. Well, you're here. You get, you get ambushed by, by three hillmen. No. <laughs> <laughs> we roll for romance? Just asking. Yes. You should. Yeah, can we, can we you know, in, engage in barter with the hillmen? Um, I, have a, I have a knife. I could trade them for something. I don't, you know, we let's, need let's, no harm. Let's do, the, let's do the romance rules to see how you get along with them. This is like where the whole campaign is heading. It's important. All right, you successfully um, you successfully charm this guy. His name the the leader is is named Petiul. Hello, I am oh, Petiul. Hey. What's up? We are armed with bows. 
Why? <laughs> we we are uh, defending our, our area against the people of the forest and the people of the mountains. There's people in the forest and in the mountains? There's people in the forest, there's people in the mountains, there's people, people in the plains. There? There's plains too? People everywhere. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my. You're so brave and strong. Wow. <laughs> and handsome. Incredibly handsome. Yeah, yeah, you're very handsome, brave, strong. Oh, hello. Let me introduce you to my associates. Oh, yeah. Kusuru and Tamenike. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, oh. Very, very nice to meet we you. Are Clan Periu. This, like, this became like a big, long, like, role playing encounter. And it like you guys kept trying to like do stuff with these guys. That was pretty hilarious. It was uh, fun. Well, it was funny because so so he mentioned there was the forest and the mountains and the hills and and so to prove your team was down there at the hills and there wasn't really a lot to to do up there. But you guys kept having like fun stuff to do and all the other groups kept getting like screwed <laughs> in various ways. So. <laughs> So, so what? So you guys are there in the hills, and the hillman guards inform you that there is a capital, but they don't know where it is. And then um, after after Tapu shared her bra snack with the guards, mm -hmm. um, they set out on their way. <laughs> bra snacks are handy. What kind of snacks are we talking? I'm kind of getting hungry. Last time we had, didn't we have Cheetos in the bra? Yeah. Cheese poofs. Cheese poofs. How about how about those uh, nature's oats bars? They like super crumbly, so they kind of make a mess while you eat them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like passive aggressive is what it is. <laughs> the worst in your bra. I think I only have like movie theater snacks. Oh, you have popcorn. You're like maybe one's full of popcorn. Maybe one has like um, sour patch kids or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> I brought a nice selection. <laughs> I missed all this. <laughs> important. Uh, to Prue's team decided that the capital may be where the control center for the ring could be located. They communicated their knowledge with the other teams. Yeah, I met a new boyfriend who's this hill guy whose name I forgot. And um, he away teams, we've uh, encountered a group of locals, other <laughs> uh, local central beings that we're able to communicate with here inside the structure. They communicated to us that uh, they have a tribal society and have some conflict with each other. Uh, they like snacks and uh, to be flattered. <laughs> and there is evidently the, a capital uh, somewhere that uh, may be the key to what we're looking for. They like snacks and to be flattered. Oh my god! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> His recaps are brilliant. Well, especially like you, you'll say something and then he'll like repeat it right away. <laughs> Every time. She's like time. dry voice. So it's hilarious. I, a lot of times, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what to like recap half of the time, and he's just so good at it. He's perfect. Yeah. The action moved to the team of Dr. Triss, Rocco Solano, and redshirt Samuel Brown. Dr. Triss used her medical scanner and found evidence of intelligent life, wildlife, and beasts of burden. They decided to head in the direction of the mountains, and they came to a bridge over a river. Is it metal of some sort? It's uh, because this is Star Trek, the original series. I'm going to say um, it's like kind of um, 
it looks like a, a TV set, you know, like <laughs> everything else. There isn't a lot of cardboard with a couple of weird bushes stuck to it. It's it's made of like styrofoam, but like painted, you know, to look really uh, <laughs> solid. Are, like rocks painted on it that when it moves, you can see the door behind it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Definitely the whole thing. Did you guys all watch the episode? Yeah, girl. Yep. <laughs> I, I I really love that episode, but but one of the um, obvious. Uh, Budgetary concerns there is that they can only create maybe three, possibly four sets for their whole uh, I just asteroid. But here we have no such constraints. <laughs> we have a whole world to explore here, but it all looks kind of like uh, that first set. Well, so Triss's team continued to moving to northeast and began walking through abandoned farmland, acre after acre of empty houses and abandoned farming equipment. Meanwhile, Laurent's team headed north through more abandoned farmland. As they explored, they were attacked by hostile alien creatures that reminded them of mountain lions, the ring killers. They fired their phasers at the oncoming creatures, stunning them all before they got close enough to pounce. Close call. Uh-oh. So Prue's party continues exploring the hills, scanning for evidence of the capital and the control center for the ring. Uh, they don't find any advanced technology, but they do find the river and a tool shed, which includes a boat. They right. decide to spend some time fixing up the boat to explore down the river. Oh, yeah. We could be on a boat. Yeah. I'm on a boat. Snacks. I'm on a Thank boat. I have snacks. <laughs> All right. Party boat. Okay. Part, team party boat is in making it happen. Back, back with Laurent's team, they came across another river and also found a raft. They decided to take the raft across the river to get to the forest on the other side. I'm going to roll a 1d6, and if I roll a 1, the boat tips over and you lose all your shit. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no, not my rifle. Did not tilt over. You guys safely make it across. <laughs> all right you beach the boat and um yeah that boat sucked it was not as it was not a party boat like the other guy's boat that you would sail on the river very good okay we get monsters and we get a tipping boat I'm, you know just saying yeah. Oh. <laughs> we had to we get cuddling in a party boat. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, our group got nothing during that time. Yeah. <laughs> That's why everybody should be team to prove team party boat. Cuddles, snacks, boats. That's what we're about. Yeah. Anyway. If you're on team to prove, you know there's gonna be lots of rolling for romance just constantly. <laughs> True. This is true to Star Trek, and I stand by my initial theory. Yeah. Every episode has got some loving in it. All right. You're right. Team to prove a team party boat abandons their party boat so that they can continue searching for the capital. They come upon some beasts of burden or ring beasts. Mm -hmm. uh, they stunned them mounted them and used them as mounts for the rest of the adventure. So not only do we have a party boat, Snacks, yeah. cuddles, but then we got to Sweet have rides. Yeah. yeah, I was so jealous because my team had just been searching and searching and searching for God for for damn horse the entire time, and then you guys just happen upon a horse, upon a bunch of horses. Whatever. I'm sorry, ring beasts. Yeah, 
You were like, this is my goal, is to find a My goal is to find a fucking horse. And us jerks were just like, we're just walking around. (laughs) (laughs) You run into a horse. Like, ah. Good times. It's funny, too, because there's so much cool stuff in the forest and the mountains. But again, Sarah Nicole is just having a blast with her team. (laughs) And a party boat. Just like, oh yeah, we're just making everything fun. So something should be said for that, I guess. No. I love also Sarah Nicole the way you said they mounted them. They're <laughs> <laughs> basically You're like, oh. <laughs> mounted. Well so, so the whole time, uh April, your team has been making its way uneventfully through the plains towards the mountains. <laughs> And uh, and Dr. Triss's team finally found a village set in a cave system at the base of the mountains. They entered the habitation of a young couple. The wife was extremely hostile to the party. Cadet Roccasolano attempted to seduce the wife, but it really didn't work. When the husband entered, Dr. Triss attempted to seduce him. The party, uh, con- did you successfully seduce him? I believe I did, yes. Yeah, I think you successfully seduced both of them. Well, she wasn't super convinced at first. Yeah. But she was like, she was a little war- She had to warm up to me a little bit. So. Yeah. Well, so the party convinced the couple to introduce them to the village leader. Moving to Laurent's team, they found a village in the forest. And as they enter the village, they meet a beautiful, exotic, and mysterious woman named Samini, who communicates telepathically. She's she's touching your mind with her telepathy. Uh-oh. Oh, I've been touched. Touching it. She's touching uh, you, <laughs> caressing your mind. She's very into it. <laughs> Not only am I stunned by your physical beauty, but now I'm also stunned and touched by your mental prowess as well. Oh my god! You other guys, you, you see uh, Lorat and Samini just like standing there, staring at each other. Like music is playing. Samini insists that she belongs to Laurent. Laurent uses his new relationship to gain an introduction with the village elder, who tells the party that the capital and the house of God can be found among the pillars to the southeast. He also tells the party that it wasn't always dark. Laurent's team uses their communicators to let everyone know where the capital is and that they suspect the darkness is due to some sort of malfunction in the ring's power system. Tapru's team uses their mounts to travel and try to find the capital. They do find the capital, I guess. At, at this point in the adventure, we started glossing over some bits of the adventure to try and hit the interesting stuff and try to finish finish out the adventure in one sitting. So they found the, they found the capital and began exploring to find the control center for the ring, to fix the power systems, and to set the ring on a safe course away from Klingon space. They discovered a computer system and they're able to turn the computers on. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dr. Triss's team finds a person in jail, Tesleft, who knows the history of the shrine. They question him to understand more about the shrine and how it operates. Hello, Tesleft. We were sent to you to find out about the shrine. Can you tell us about it? We're just visitors here. Hmm. Come to the right person. I know the uh, technology of the old times. Oh, really? Um, 
Yes. I understand. Very few people are left who understand there was a, let's see. So ask, ask your specific question. You want to know what, what, what the shrine is all about? Yes. Well, what can you tell us about the shrine and how it works? I'll tell you what I know. Excellent game mastering here. There are um, the shrine is is for prayers. It, it's it's part of our religions. So thousands of pillars, and they support a roof. And there's many images posted throughout, and uh, their offerings and asking and prayers for light. The the people want to ask for light. Um, but there's a there's an entrance. This the the control center is underground. Um, so there's an entrance in the, in the shrines. There's also an entrance in the capital. As they explore the village, they're shown a stasis chamber containing food that stays fresh indefinitely. Before they left, the villagers showed them a door they've never been able to open. The team figured out how to unlock the door and found another stasis chamber containing a wide variety of non-intelligent creatures. The team theorized that these are animals meant to be released when the ring ship reaches its final destination and that other stasis chambers also exist. Correct. Yes, Laurent's team over there in the forest, they left their forest village and they explored the surrounding area. They narrowly avoided an encounter with a tentacle creature in a swamp and then they found a portable computer. Commander McDonald figured out how to turn it on and they moved on. They found a wall at the end of the forest that extended to the sky, it included a nourishment supply system that ran underground and created the forest ecologic uh, well, it created the forest ecology artificial artificially nailed it <laughs> having <laughs> having explored the forest the team made their way to the capital to help the other crew members they discovered an abandoned land speeder along the way getting them to the capital quickly and in style land speeder well did we call it a land speeder i don't know i think i think i just said it was a land speeder cuz yeah we could all visualize it Hmm. Totes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Opinion. I used to ride across the desert, you know. Okay, so the first thing you know, yes, you do know. <laughs> the first thing they found in the capital was a statue. Oh, yeah. Hidden in the base of the statue was a computer, and that opened up a hidden door. You know how to use computers, yeah. so you can you can activate this. There's a door opening up at the at the base of the statue. It just rolls aside. Yep. Oh shit, Linux. Never mind. And I I activate the computer and. All right. Are, are you guys going in through this door? Um, yeah. yeah. Very good. Very Is very. Mean with us. Good You guys are transported to this area number one. Back in the forest? Whoa. <laughs> I feel like we just left. Didn't we just leave here? So you're in a, a life retention vault for intelligent beings. There's 10 million ringers in hibernation in here. Oh, my God. How did they get to one? You guys can get back out through the door and go back into the Capitol building. But 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 there's a there's also egress into the forest here. I just thought it was cool. I'll show you on the map where you guys are. Suspended animation ringers or dead ringers? Uh, ringers, yeah. 
Oh my god, let's say ringers forty more times. Yeah, you guys go back to the capital. And we, we get on the communicator to Depru and let her let her know what's up. We we just found a crazy teleporter that teleports us back to the forest. Yeah, and we found uh, a lot of folks in uh Stasis. Yeah. Back in the computer room at the Capitol, Tapru and the team were checking the data disks and discovered critical information. What are you guys doing? Do you guys want to check out another disk? Yeah, we yeah. Would, I would like yeah. to check out another disk. Does someone else want to roll a percentage, or do you want me to do it? Why don't we have uh, Ava do it? Okay. Yeah. More porn. <laughs> It's tentacle porn. Nine. Nine All right. You guys find out um, some of the history of the ring. When the ring, so in ancient times, there was a race. We'll call them the ringers. That's just how we'll translate it. Ringers. Because um, you know them as the inhabitants of the ring, who lived near the center of the galaxy. They realized that they were increasingly in danger from a series of supernovae towards the center of the galaxy. As a result, they mobilized the technologies of all the planets under their control. And these ringmasters constructed a huge generation starship. Aboard it, they placed all available samples of nature, some into storage, some into hibernation, and some as genetic data. With that, they aimed their ship outward and flew further out into the galaxy. Their goal was to be able to completely recreate their own worlds, and for that reason, the enormous starship was stocked with the flora and fauna of their planets. As for the ring, a reproduction of the environment of their main planets occupies the largest portion of the internal area of the Anolis. Um, when the ring first departed, things were peaceful. The city grew around the capital and farming thrived in the surrounding areas. The people flourished, lived their lives, reproduced and intended to do so until they arrived at their destination. In the capital, the politicians governed to maintain the balance between production and consumption. But what was taking, with, what was taking place within the control center was a secret. The control center housed controls for navigation of the ship and the maintenance of life support. Soon the ringers began to forget about their journey and even the fact that they were in a man-made object. Therefore, in an attempt to maintain the same state, the leaders decided to allow their people to believe that this was their only world and would keep it this way until they were ready. The residents of the control center kept their real work hidden and enjoyed their lives within the capital. Over time, the ringers stopped thinking about the long journey and the true nature of their environment altogether. Only a small number of people in the capital knew the truth. At one point, the speed of the ring was greatly slowed due to its impact on the life support system. Then, 200 years ago, a control center pilot named Tumi began to go mad from claustrophobia and aligned himself with rebel elements in the capital. A revolt finally happened. Led by a man named Teperiu, the rebels seized the capital and Tumi simultaneously opened up the control center. After a great deal of destruction, the rebellion was suppressed and Teperiu and the others escaped to the control center. However, Tumi had cut the power to the ring habitat, causing all systems to stop, the artificial sunlight to go dark, and the life support systems to fall into chaos. Teperio's rebels fought the ringmaster captain and his group within the control center and seized victory through superior numbers, but Teperio and the captain were killed in the battle. Most of those who knew the truth of the ring were killed, and the lone insurgent Tumi fled outside, leaving behind only rebel soldiers who knew nothing. Furthermore, as a side effect of, the, of a biological weapon Teperio had used, the intelligence of the survivors decreased considerably, leaving no one in control of the center. Driven by fear from the loss of power and artificial light, the people outside became a mob and destroyed the capital. Not understanding what had happened, the culture, the culture quickly collapsed as people separated into barbaric groups. Many animals died, others changed into frenzied predators. 
survivors divide into three groups. As you know, one group fed into the Northwest, Tumi's group in the Northeast mountains, and the last into the hills in the South. An eternal light, night has fallen, leaving only primitive life and a sun that will not rise, didn't, has not risen for hundreds of years. Okay. Wow. I realize that was a lot, but you know, that's yeah. basically mind blown. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. Classic uh, generation ship story. Yeah. Um, the history disc uh, basically reveals the history of the generation ship, how they set forth, and just, you know, we're going to eventually end up at a new planet. And they lived their lives um, on the generation ship. And then things went wrong. There were uh, rebellions and the uh, environmental controls um, got shut down. The sun got turned off and um, the navigation systems went haywire and all that sort of stuff. So that basically uh, gave the crew their goalposts of how to uh, set things back on track. So then the crew started to get some ideas. How do we turn the sun back on? Yeah, exactly. They're going to revere us as gods. Forget the Federation, man. We got our whole thing set up here. Ensign Jensen, she's a lieutenant at this point. Lieutenant Jensen discovered the power plant in the capital. She com contacted Commander McDonald with her communicator. McDonald has been carrying 10 phaser power packs this whole time. So he has with him, so he has them with him and he brings them to the power plant. Yeah. They basically use the power packs to jumpstart the power plant and give the capital power for one day. Dr. Triss's team continues to explore the control center. They discover the control room, which includes navigational controls. However, they have to find the manual so they know how to fly the ring. As they searched for the manual, they found se several other rooms, including a surveillance room that had visual monitors for places all over the ring, as well as climate controls. I'm looking for the manual to see if we can turn the lights on. Uh, well, I, I, I need someone to roll, roll like I have a tactics and Tris, roll, roll a 46. Okay. You're in the science division. You're pretty smart. Okay. What am I, I'm trying to roll under my under intellect? Your intellect. Yeah. Okay. I pass. Very good. Yes. You are able to turn on the sun. Are you going to do it? I'm going to do it. You turn on the sun. Oh, you guys, <laughs> you guys over here. I mean, Tris and your group, you're underground, but you guys can go back to here and look on the, all the screens and see what it looks like. It looks amazing um, to see the sun turned on. You guys like go outside. You can see, you know, the sun turned on to Prue and Laurent. Um, so good job. Yeah. Epic moment. Woo! As the sun turned on. Laurent's team was clearing out some rubble in the capital and discovered another teleportation room, which took them directly to the control center with Dr. Tris Roccasolano and Samuel Brown. They were examining the controls for the automated factory, trying to turn it on. Dude. All right. You guys uh, got the factory going. What's it make? Cool. Well, yeah, what, are we, what are we making? This it, it's just, it's just one of the main like things that you guys have to do to turn on this whole ship and make it working again. So it makes just like everything. It manufactures food and clothes and whatever. Jewelry? Do, do yeah. we get some nice jewelry out of this? <laughs> jewelry? <laughs> Very important. Yes. Oh, lovely. 
Dr. Trace Jensen and De Los Santos also discovered broadcast instruments that allowed them to broadcast messages to the whole ring. But what should they say? We, we we greet you. I'm going to use my contact theory to come up with something nice. But basically, you know, we greet you from the United Federation of Planets. Uh, we have returned power to your facility, and uh, we'll be supporting you. You know, going forward. Um, you know, soon we'll have peaceable uh, teams coming to support you at the Capitol. Uh, and your vessel, I don't know, something clever. Okay. Yep. Well, they, they don't know it's did. a vessel, so you guys, yeah, you got a lot of vessels. So yeah, that, maybe that was a bit much. Yeah, you know that that disc that we played. Yeah. We just relay that information. You just maybe it's just a bit much as well. <laughs> How about we say uh, we have returned the sun to you? We'll be providing further materials and support going forward at the Capitol. Very good. Yeah. So. Even as they got multiple ship functions up and running, the team still needed to search the control center for the navigation manual so they could finally redirect the ship away from Klingon space. They found a locked room they couldn't open. How could they get in the room? So I'm going to point out the cadet has a torch, right? <laughs> but you're... Yeah. He You're does. He has. I'm not, I'm not right. in a group with you guys, but like I have a torch. Okay, you can send him over there. I think that, that's right. cool. That was a yeah, whole I send thing. him over. I send him over. Okay. Cool. You guys like wave from over here to Prue, like Tris. You know, you guys see each other from across the yeah. hall. Oh hell like, yeah! Okay. Uncle Solano runs to you guys. I'm gonna throw <laughs> you have to keep safety eyes contact on me at all times. <laughs> you guys tell him where to go. All right, get to work yeah. on that. I give him Uncle a snack for my bra. <laughs> uh, oh, I just love the visual image of him like like a kid with a backpack, you know, just kind of like running from his mom to school. I have like a very strong master plan for what's gonna happen really? with him and my character. Yeah. Oh what we'll actually happens. I would like to tie into his Captain America background. By Ooh. somehow turning him into some sort of buff, like strong person versus what his character is now, so that he can fight my betrothed in an epic battle. So <laughs> never be married anymore. Wow. <laughs> so you're okay. creating your you're 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 using him to create the perfect uh <laughs> the perfect man to I'm molding yeah, from from a youthful cadet. <laughs> it's my master plan. <laughs> Regardless, Doctor Triss and Redshirt Samuel Brown continued exploring, but they were not immune to danger. All right, you guys open the door and like, boom! A desk falls from above as booby trap. A desk. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about a desk that. was like dangling from it, like you know, like attached to the door handle, so it like falls on you guys. Really Everyone desk. takes five damage. Oh my god! That was a big desk. All right. Yeah. Um, he sent Rocco Solano away. Glad yeah, he'd be dead. <laughs> dead. Hooray! Yeah, no, I would have been awful. <laughs> this is this is actually in the module that that's how they booby trapped it was with a desk. But I drew from my own uh, personal experience because I did something kind of like that for my senior prank. <laughs> You did? 
Well, we did. We had a like, we had a, we had a, a desk dangling from a rope from the ceiling, and then we had another rope going to the door, but they weren't actually connected, so they were afraid to open the door. So they came. They had to like <laughs> open the classroom through the window. <laughs> So, wow. Um, but I just love that. It's like, it wasn't like there was lasers attacking them. It was a desk. <laughs> so the, so the, the crew continued looking for the manual. They found a hidden room with another computer, but they didn't know how to operate it without the manual. They eventually discovered an automatic cooking system and realized how hungry they were. There's like a food area here. What is it? Dining room entrance. This is oh, um, okay. Automatic cooking system, which works, so you can you can get a meal in here. Nice. It's just a window. You go go up to the window and like you know press buttons and woo, 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 woo. the food the food like appears. That's fun. What do you guys order? Um, I order a steak. Okay, just the steak. How how do you like it? A uh, uh, steak medium rare with uh, cheesy scalloped potatoes made with gouda and some cream spinach with nutmeg. That's <laughs> <laughs> very specific. Sa Samuel Brown, what do you have? Oh, gee, I'm I was just very hungry at that some, point. Some corn on the cob. No, I guess they would not. <laughs> He's like a corn fed Iowa boy, you know? He's like, okay, okay. You know. My bad. I'll, I'll have some mashed potatoes. And uh, no, but see, these are all earth foods, you know, they're not going to have any of that. Yeah. Okay. To Prue's group, where do you guys want to check out? Well, Trisha's group is uh, feasting. Did we check out eight? Did they tell Did they tell us that they got food? That's rude. Oh, of did course. They? I was like, dude, to Prue, do you guys want to so whatever you want? You can fill yourself There's still seven and four to check out, and also one. And eleven I, to check out. To my party, do you guys want to go get some snacks? Or <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to check out. You're pregnant. The, I'd like to look for the uh, manual, and so you there's seven, four, one, and eleven that still. Four. Tris is at a four. If you guys want to go to that four, you can get food, or you can ask Radio Tris to bring you oh, food. Well, well, there's four directly above us. Yeah, it's another. It's another food. Uh, it's another food okay. place. How about seven? Seven's right across the hall. Bring us some frites and uh, a selection of dipping sauces, please. I'd like a small bowl of broth. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get some chicken nuggets? Done. Please. Bring it them all. Oh, and How about some a, bowl of, a bowl of pho? Yes. Is it pho meek, pho meek soup for you, for you to prove? What? Pho meek soup. Yeah, hell That's yeah. the Vulcan soup. I, go to the I don't want soup! <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. We'll watch that one eventually. Yeah, you guys watch it. Oh, you murdered me! I, I was apparently crying after you said that. Oh man, amazing! And did See, you this hear is how much... say he wanted pho? That was perfect. Yeah, it, I did. You guys waste a hell of a lot of time. Don't just... you love it? I it's do. So love much it. more fun. It is. What's more fun that Rocco Solano got chicky nuggies? <laughs> what do you remember that we checked door seven or that he got chicken nuggies? Oh, it's 
funny. Dave was like, well, I'd, I'd really like to check it, look for the manual. What, <laughs> what? Like, no. You want to eat? Why don't you want to eat? <laughs> all ordering food now, Dave. <laughs> We're not pressing this adventure at all until we've all ordered food. Oh. Oh. But it was so fun. Oh Dave is notorious for going long stretches of time without eating. So In real life? Part of the yeah. yeah. Don't you remember? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. I remember he makes those really good little cookies, though. Cookies? You know? oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, would make yeah. the, yeah, the, the special, waffle like, cookie things. Yeah, the waffle cookies. Yeah. Remember when he would make those? They're like a traditional cookie. You know what I'm talking about? Like flat. April knows. He has like an actual... I know he's a big like waffle maker guy too. Like he's a special kind of waffle maker. Yeah. That he always talks about. Well, it, it's it's like got some name like Krip Curtain or I can't remember exactly what the next I, time next time we have him whatever, on the podcast, we'll, we'll have him plug it. <laughs> hey, Dave, plug, plug those waffles. cookies you made us twice fifteen years ago. Thanks. Yeah. Well, he makes them every year though. Yeah, I lo- I remember they were so good. Yeah. Like, incredibly good. So we're still talking about food. Well. Well. Yes, we are. Okay. They went back to check on Rocco Solano, still burning through the locked door. Rocco Solano. <laughs> you're burning through the thing. You're, you're, you're still working on it. And you're hungry. Very good. I brought him some Flaming Hot Cheetos. And what else did you want? Chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets, <laughs> yeah. From McDonald's. <laughs> He is a child. Get the backpack. <laughs> As the rest of the crew continue to unsuccessfully look for the manual, Cadet Rocco Solano finally burned through the door. Rocco Solano, you burned through the thing. All right. I uh, used my communicator and informed my. You know, I inform everybody. All right. You, you find the electricity generation system in here. Um, and the control room is number nine. Turn me on. So you, can, you can turn on the power <laughs> on the, for the whole um, ship, basically. All right. So with that objective uh, achieved, all the teams finally teamed up to search the last few rooms. Right now yeah, we have a, a, a unified group here. Which includes yeah. um, Tris, Samuel Brown, Tapru, Laurent, and Rocco Solano. Yep. Great. What about that, the chick? We're all going together. She's oh, and on. the chick is is always with Laurent. Okay. Laurent's second yeah. girlfriend. I mean, yeah. Where is she? How does she feel about all this? She's like, she's so happy, you <laughs> guys. She's <laughs> filling you guys with warm, fuzzy feelings with her telepathy. She's just <laughs> communicating. Um, I feel great. She's great. Her joy oh, and around. I feel her trying to mess with my mind. She, she's 16 years old, by the way. This podcast option is one right here. Okay. They discovered the chief pilot's room, and they found the first part of the navigational manual in perfect shape. But there's a book in here that's like how to pilot the ring you're on. Yeah. Oh my god. It's a it's a technical manual. 
Ah, I cool. can do these. This was here all along, and no one found it when their civilization was gone to ruin. No one thought, no, over here and read this technical manual. By the way, this whole control center looks exactly like the the inside of that planet. This underground area looks like just like in the episode. It's like hallways made of cardboard or whatever. <laughs> and um, rocks and there's there's all those like uh, those glyphs, you know, those like standing stones and stuff with uh, the, the the symbols of planets and stuff. Everything looks super cool like that, D and D ish, like with like a dot that you can touch and it opens a door. Sweet, I like a summer like pops theater program, like community theater set. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, it looks. It's very. It's very like Love an independent it. project for sure. So we found the first manual. The next room they found had the second part of the navigational manual, and the crew of the Cody had everything they needed to get the navigational controls up and running. Now all that was left was for helmsman Laurent, played by Eric, to put the ship back on course. Let's let yeah. Eric do a yeah. final roll to 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 put this sucker on course. Here we go. I've got navigation. Under your int. <laughs> Give yourself a, a dex I, bonus. I, I need it. He very much passes. Very good. All right. The end. Yay. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you for powering through this one. I really, oh, yeah. I think, it, I think it's a, a cool... Yeah. Obviously, we could have done it in more than one session and and gotten yeah. a little more nitty gritty into it, but um, been cool. I think uh, we got so many modules to get through. Yeah, but this is a uh, more or less getting the gist of this, and, and it's fun. Yeah, I think this one, you know, could have easily been a you know a good campaign. Yeah, yeah, a whole campaign by itself. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you guys want to talk about that? I I really really felt like at the very least we could have done this in in two sessions. There were um when we were in the mountain caves um I mean we just you were kind of like okay well there's this cool cave over here that does this and there's this cool cave over here that does that yeah. you know and and it kind of sucked like I I would have loved to explore more. I mean we really rushed through um finding the you know all these people and animals and stuff like that in stasis. Um, mm -hmm. And it, I would have, it would have been really cool to actually go and find and discover that stuff. I, I really liked this module and I was, I was really bummed with how fast we had to go through it. Yeah. What do you think, Sarah Nicole? Yeah, I agree. I am um, from like a purely completionist standpoint. I feel like we missed a lot of content. Um, was there a whole group of people we didn't encounter, or did we encounter all the people? Well, I mean, there were a lot of like areas where there were like two lines where it was like, "There's three guys here with bows and arrows," or "Here's a blacksmith." Um, yeah, I mean, it's written more like a traditional D and D module, where there's just area after area after area, and they all have very little detail, but um, you know it's written so that you could go anywhere and find stuff. I, uh, I felt like we were maybe a little rushed towards the end. Like, and I felt like yeah. you had to just give us things instead of us working for them. Mm -hmm. um, like when we rolled for the 
disc or the whatever to tell us the history and you're like well yeah you rolled and here's the history and i was like oh shit good thing we rolled that yeah (laughs) it was supposed to be different split up into different discs and i was just like well let's just dump it all out there no i I definitely did rush through it um which isn't like a that's not like phil why'd you rush through it obviously we were trying to yeah we needed to right right like that had to happen so it's not any judgment call on you. It's more that this one was incredibly fun to play or we were finding a lot of fun in it as a group yeah. that night. And I felt like we could have played it for a, a full campaign. Like we could have done it for maybe a month of Fridays, you know? So so we're, we're making an informed review now. We can tell <laughs> our listeners that we think you can um, plan to do this in more than one session. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you yeah. if you are going to try and do it in one session, well, we did a pretty good job by having three different teams going to the three different areas. That yeah. helps speed things up. If we had just one team crawling the whole uh, ring, it would have taken many sessions, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. But again, for the listener, when you were doing teams, it's important to note that you you almost do like a set amount of time or a set amount of turns with each team you move very quickly from each team to the other where you feel like you're getting a good moment of gameplay, but then it moves to the next person. So nobody's waiting too long between turns and you still feel like you're doing action. So if you're going to choose the option of doing it in split teams, I think it's important to move along that gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you want to give every, everyone cool stuff to do. So uh, I felt like Triss's team often just wasn't having enough stuff to do compared to the other teams. We're just looking, yeah. looking out and having cool stuff to do. Well, to prove you were just kind of making stuff up for you guys to do, which is also kind of fun. That's actually why I, I wanted Roka Solano on my team is because usually he's, he's the one, I mean, he's, he's the button pusher, you know, he's the one who's always finding stuff to do. And he just wasn't, um, he wasn't as into it. Yeah. There, this uh, this adventure at a different scale in terms of time and in terms of space than the other adventures we've done. So it took place over the course of many days rather than like in-game. In, in and there was this overland aspect which um, was meant to take time as well. So oh, like different. travel? Yeah, like it was really like, like you said, this is more like a campaign or like, a, I don't know, it really is written like it's it's meant to last multiple sessions. It felt like there are a lot of puzzle elements that could have taken us longer to fi- figure out. That I don't want to say we glossed over it because that feels like a negative connotation. And again, I don't feel negatively about what happened or how it happened. But um, I, I feel like the puzzle elements, we could have spent an hour figuring that out and had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, that's always one of my favorite things in a in any kind of RPG game is having that. So, I mean, like this was very much a sandbox mm-hmm. style um, module and, and having those puzzle elements and all the different things to figure out it, you know, this is the great thing about Star Trek role-playing is that it isn't so hack and slash. It is figuring stuff out, trying to find ways to, to solve the problem, you know, the problem of whatever planet, whatever culture, whatever it is that, um, 
that we're doing. It's not about going and fighting all the time. And yeah. this, I feel like this particular module did a really great job of, of having that be the, the goal with also some elements of like, oh, we might have to fight somebody here and there, whatever, but we can also choose not to, which is nice. Yeah. Also, I think, and this would have come out if we played it over a longer period of time, a major aspect of it was um, creating relationships amongst the different groups building trust, you know, uh, meet, finding the leader and, and, uh, and then they would um, basically let you have more free reign in their area and not get challenged all the time. So that might've been a little bit more interesting if we'd allowed it to take up more time. Yeah, well, I think cool. that also helped us really push the game forward to go faster for us, which was, which was nice. Like actually making friends with the, you know, with the, but the people there mm -hmm. um, allowed us to to find out more information, to find out where we needed to go, to um, you know get introduced to the guy in the jail cell who told us about the um, uh, yeah. the yeah where we needed to go and, and stuff like that. It was uh, having being able to have relationships with the people there is was really neat. Yeah, agreed. Um, Phil, maybe. Yes. It not the time to ask this question, but how much work did you have to do as the DM to like translate this or make it so we could play it? It's already been translated into English by Robert oh. St. John. Um, so that was easy. It's a lot of the work was just in the way it's written. Like you mentioned, it's a sandbox and the way the module's written, it just kind of has, um, it has all the maps and then it has all the areas are numbered on the maps and then it has information on what's in each area. So a lot of the shape of the story that comes out of it only became clear in play. Um, I had to kind of just read through the whole module a couple times to sort of kind of get a sense of it, of the, of what information would kind of trickle out over time that you could puzzle together and what you could really do. Uh, some of it didn't really even become obvious until the actual gameplay. Like towards the end, it was clear like, okay, we got to turn the systems back on the ship. Um, and that wasn't even really necessarily clear. I guess that was kind of clear from the beginning, but like, but then, but then just the actual nitty gritty of like, well, you got to learn how to use the computers. You got to learn how to do, um, uh, I don't know, the navigation and the turn the sun back on. Some of that stuff wasn't... So, uh, I don't know, how how did that seem to you, how that all evolved? Well, what, once we kind of like got into the capital and we're, we're messing with stuff, it, it felt like it was a pretty linear progression. Mm -hmm. um, and it, again, we were moving so quickly that it didn't feel like stunted or... I don't know. I felt like yeah. we were moving from goal to goal pretty quickly and efficiently. Um, but I don't know if that was because we were trying to end because it was getting late and you were giving us breadcrumbs or if that was the module, you know? Yeah. What do you think? I think, I think like if we think about playing keep on the borderlands where it's just session after session after session about where you immerse yourself in that world I think you're right. That's more or less what this was meant to be. Like, this is the world within the RPG, 
right? Not that it's just like one session where we visit this place, but like this would kind of been your world and you would explore it and explore it and explore it. And, and that way, some of the revelations would have been more mind blowing. I think it was kind of like, like, okay, sure, whatever. But like, if you really got to know all the people and got to know the land and then kind of, I mean, you did know it was a ship obviously, but um, I don't know. It could have been more uh, immersive in a way. Yeah, I I think the the one downfall of this module was t- our our time requirement. Right, we're mm-hmm. trying to power through everything in like a three hour session in various time zones for people. Yeah, and yeah. we've kind of set a goal for ourselves that we're gonna try to complete it one session everyone and we're just going to do what we can and review it based on our experience right Mm -hmm. i think this was incredibly fun for me and i don't know if i was just having a good role-playing night or whatever but i enjoyed it i was enjoying the puzzle aspects i was enjoying that open world feeling um i was enjoying kind of the DD elements of it with the star trek like overlay and I think I would have enjoyed going back to that world more than once. Maybe I think a three or four sessions would have been great. Yeah. Well, I, I, I discussed this with Philip after the game a little bit about how I do feel like there, I mean, there was a point in the game and I think it was about, at least for me, about the time when, um, uh, when we started rushing through the caves and the mountains, like I said before, um, where it became very, very clear we were not going to have enough time to really see everything that was going on. Um, And I do feel like we could have extended this to at least one more session. And I don't know if that's, um, if that's something we're willing to, to look into in the future for, for other campaigns like this to really get a good, a good feel for these things. And plus, because we are, we're doing this to review it, but we're also doing it to have fun. Um, and I, I personally, I would like it if we had that option to, um, to take it into another session. Because this, like, no, like you said, this was a good game. I, I'd want to play it some more. That's also like really good feedback. If you, as a player, felt like you would have wanted to revisit it, that's good to know. Um, that's a good sign for the module as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I could not have necessarily known before looking at this. I mean, I, I did know this had a lot more meat on it than the other things we've done. But even so, it's maybe 16 pages total. And um, and we're going to eventually be getting into modules which are 40, 50, 60 pages. So kind of like, I, I don't know, uh, there definitely will be times where we'll want to split things up. But I, I didn't know in advance if this would be one of them. Yeah, so yeah. it's funny too. I think, and I'm. This is not from my experience. This is my um, observation. But when we play D anD D, you know that we're gonna continue playing that campaign for forever, and so we're we're almost more leisurely about it. Yeah. And when we're doing these, we kind of have to be a little more business. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we gotta get our business done. Which. We've- Right, right. When I'm talking about food and romance and things like that, I'm just enjoying the module. And I realize now that maybe that's frustrating people, maybe like Dave, who are like door seven, let's do this. But I'm also like, I'm a player and I'm going to have my fun. You know, (laughs) my character would do this. We've never been, 
We've never been very business. It's no. true. But I love that they even had like, hey, there's a thing here that can just create whatever food you want. Like if, that was written in the module, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool that that kind of stuff was in there. We're like, sweet, because it gives you stuff to to go on and to riff off of. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we it was great. You know, got Roca Solano with his backpack delivering food to everybody. <laughs> you know? yeah. great. And everybody's picking a food that their character would pick. That was cute and fun. And it, there, it anchors you to your character more. Sorry, Phil. Oh, yeah. No, no problem. There, there, there was uh, that really cool thing where it was like, and here are 10 million people in stasis. And you're like, huh. Yeah. And, and it, there's not really anything that you should do or can do there. It's just kind of like something to explore and to see like, hey, did you know that there are actually 10 million people in stasis here? No, I, I did not know that. So, so that, that's kind of cool too. Which gives you an idea of the enormity of the thing you're on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which tells us we definitely did not explore enough. So guys, do we have anyone that we can put on trial for uh, crimes against humanity or humanity criming against everything? I don't, I don't know. For our humanity on trial segment, I don't, I don't, nobody's jumping out at me. Yeah. Uh, maybe all of us for not giving this module enough time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> maybe me for romancing everybody. No. No, it's good. You know, here, I want to talk about something because this keeps coming up the romance aspect. <clears throat> and this is, I just want to talk a bit ab- abstractly about character skills in an RPG. Um, when you think about the characters in the show, going back to the beginning, we we're talking about who's your favorite character. Um, they're characters with very obvious usefulness in an RPG. Spock, he could, he could do computers and science and psionics. Scotty, he's a wizard engineering. McCoy, medical. Well, feel free to disagree, April, but um, yeah, about you, the role of your character, but obviously has usefulness. And then there's Kirk, who in RPG terms, obviously would still be important story-wise, and you need a, a creative and assertive player. But in terms of measurable skills, not so much. Not so clearly and obviously as the others. Um, yeah, I mean, his skills are negotiating. Right. Well, and seduction. And seduction, hands down, yeah. Yeah, charisma. Hand-to-hand combat, obviously. He's a jack-of-all-trades. He does talk science, engineering, everything a little bit. But um, but we keep saying, like, well, maybe seduction shouldn't really be such a big part of the thing. But, like, actually it kind of is in the show. Yeah. And, uh, and this started as, as a big joke for us. But uh, <laughs> I'm really starting to think, <laughs> this is Star Trek. This is, like, essential. Yeah. I'm really glad you've come to my side. Um, yeah. I'm glad you finally joined me on the team flirtation. Well, and it's written in the module, like I said, with a chick, right? What's her name? The 16-year-old? Yeah, yeah. She turns oh out to be God. 16. I didn't, want to lead. I didn't want to lead with that because uh, no one would come near her, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought it would be more hilarious if I dropped that at the end. Like, oh, by the way, she's 16. Nothing happened. Perverts. Nothing happened. Uh... But what about the deduction is written in her character? Well, 
so this this module like like almost all the modules we've done is written as if you're the enterprise crew so it says like that she'll fall in love with captain kirk if he tries to um negotiate with her and then she'll um she'll become your guide and help you mm. a beautiful girl stands before the house some meanie um when there is a uh well it says an alignment check that's one of the mechanics in this game is an alignment check um when there is an and we basically use the romance role instead when there is an alignment check between her and kirk she will follow him unconditionally her telepathy can be used any number of times. She is a beautiful 16-year-old girl. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Gross. So she's kind of like, what, is it Miri? Miri. A little bit. She, was even, she wasn't even 16. Miri, Miri was like 13 or 14, wasn't she? Yeah. Well, the actress was quite a bit older, but yeah. Yeah, but I think she was meant to be. I mean, she's supposed to be going through puberty. Oh, I guess, yeah. All right, fine. Nothing like Miri, guys. Fine. No, no, I think I do think that that the Miri was the uh, inspiration there to have a young girl fall in love with Kirk. Yeah, that's so, gross. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, but it makes sense. Like you know, if Kirk came in, you know, we'd all fall in love with him. Well, that's true. City. That's right. Rizma City, baby. <laughs> well, Philip, I'm really well, happy. That you agree that the seduction is a very Star Trek and important part of this game. Well, it really makes charisma not a dump stat at all, not a throwaway stat at all, but like actually, you know, it's it's even in D&D, it's like supposed to be the character with the high charisma is like the party leader. They can hire more henchmen and stuff. We really see it in a more like immediate sense here in, in Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. That the charisma is really actually valuable. That's Kirk's thing. He doesn't have science and tech so much, but he does have um, the charisma. Absolutely. I love it. April, you've been having, I sort of alluded to before, um, not as much stuff to do as you'd like, I think, in our games. Yeah, well, it's because it's like... Uh, I go back and forth because it, I could be playing more like Sarah Nicole does, where, I mean, she just throws herself out there and and makes the game work work. I mean you, you do. You 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 have natural charisma as a person. And so mm. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, and, I uh, <laughs> well, um, I'm gonna rip my shirt right now. Look out. I'm going to uh, leave the podcast. You guys uh, keep going. I'll take the answer off off on the on, off the air. But anyway, but yeah, so um I'm I don't know the way the way my brain works. I I like being I guess a little bit more um, like oh my my character can do X Y and Z, um, and so I don't I, I don't speak up when other things fall into other people's categories. Like for instance, Aaron, you know his um, his character being communications officer, he's constantly just butting in interrupting people to say what they were going to say so that he could communicate it. Right. And it was just great. And it's hilarious. And, um, and it really explains the story well, which is, which is awesome. Um, you know, Dave being the captain, he, he talks all the, uh, all the time. Um, uh, Eric's Laurent, you know, he, he does the, um, the navigation and stuff. Like it's, it's stuff that people specifically need to ask them. 
but as the as the medic the only thing that people ever ask me for is if someone gets hurt as a general rule and so like i've been trying to at various points try to come up with things like oh well i'm i'm a researcher like i want to talk about how i do medical research and i look for cures for things and, the, and that and this mm -hmm. and that but it's it's often hard for that to tie into the modules so I'm often like, why, what, what can I do? What can I, you know? And it was nice being made a party leader because then that gave me some initiative to try to do something. Well, I think, well, Philip, I know you want to talk. Do you want to no. say your stuff first? Okay. Um, I'm having a similar situation, right? Because right now yeah. my character has no defined role besides being number one, right? Yeah. I'm not the science officer, right? I'm not doing any other role on the ship um i was originally the um security right security right and so that's what all my stats point to right but now we have petrenko who is much more fun right yeah. and is really Great. like is really into it and so when i first rolled up this character i i was happy to get that to to, uh, to not be just a spock copy Right, was my goal and hope. Right, was to make a Vulcan who wasn't a um, a, copy. a copy, yeah, a copy of Spock yeah. or a copy of what's her butt from Enterprise. Right, I didn't want to be that exact role. Um, here I am, a second officer again, but I don't have anything specific to do with myself, so that's why I'm doing all these things like flirting with every person I see, and, like, right, making fun for myself because. In the in the job on the bridge, unless I'm taking command, I have no role, right? Right. And so I understand how you feel. And that's why in our last game, which we'll talk about in our next podcast, right? We did a little more defining of what people's roles are going to be on the bridge. Yeah. They're actually doing. And I did that personally because if I'm feeling that like that, I want to make sure everybody else feels like they have something to do each turn so they can connect to the character and feel, you know, really grounded. Absolutely. It's, it's hard when we have overlapping skills, like our captain is an engineer and then Rokoslano is an engineer, right? So they both yeah. want to jump at all those engineer things. Right. And yeah. I have tactics, you have tactics, a bunch of people have tactics, right? So yeah. it might be worth it, and I don't know if we can allow this, but to look at our skill set and say, do we want to define these a little better? Do we want to maybe trade things? Or can we go have some training on a star base to explain how this happens or things like that? I yeah. don't know. I don't know what the solution is, um, but it's something I have been feeling as well. And so that's why you're seeing me react by being a little outrageous or making stupid things for my character that fun Right. Well, I, mean, I love I know do it. Yeah. No, I love that you do that, and I, and I am I'm, I'm often uh, thinking about how you go about it in the back of my head, so I can try to be more like that on occasion. Well, <laughs> no, it's more I, fun when you can really get into that stuff. Right, and we we do need your character has empathy, which is an incredibly yeah. valuable tool, and we should be using that extensively. But then also like what personality trait like are you going to be a grumpy doctor because then be arguing with us more and that would be fun right True, are you yeah. are you going to be more 
Deanna Troy, right? And be somebody who's counseling us all when we're all being bitchy. You know, like <laughs> we got it. Like, so like I'm choosing that Tapru is getting close to Ponfar and so she's getting a little horny. And so right. we're flirting with everybody, right? <laughs> and that makes sense for me. And I, but I've connected it to character backstory and what I'm expecting to have. And I'm looking forward at my character arc and seeing how these choices make sense with her. Yeah. Right? So I have it's some, not just I have like some ideas in the back of my head that I've kind of been playing with. And I've kind of, you know, I mean, for instance, my, my character um, is very, um, she doesn't really have a preference for her lovers. <laughs> she doesn't have a preference for her lovers. Meaning I don't, pre you know, She's I pansexual. <laughs> oh, you're pan. Cool. Then you should be flirting with everybody too. Well, that's, and that's what, that's why, you know, I ended up getting with both um, the husband know, the and the wife. The husband oh, yeah. and the wife, if you recall, which we didn't go into in, in the, in the recap. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I mean I got with him and his wife, you know, while I sent Roca Solano and, and Samuel Brown off somewhere else to go sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um and then there was a, there was another thing when we were doing the Tribbles episode, um, where I was trying to flirt with some chick. I can't remember who it was, whatever. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, maybe it's just that we need more of these things where we spread out into smaller teams and we change the team yeah. up every time. And so you can find what weird relationships you have. Like me and Roka Solano have a weird ass relationship now where I carry him around in a backpack. Right? Well, that's yep. weird. It's it's hilarious though. <laughs> but it's, it's very weird, but it's hilarious. Yeah. And it happened organically, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I did notice that um, uh, Laurent and I have actually been on um, one of our, um, one of our previous things was on the same ship. Oh. And um, and I've been thinking about how to how to tie in something. Maybe you, know, you hate that mofo. Characters. I don't know. Right? Well, I have to say I have I have had very, very little interaction with him um cool. personally. With Laurent so that's personally. great. So we gotta make you two have an adventure together next time. That's my I'm all about it. Phil, yeah. you wanted to <laughs> say right. something at the beginning of all this and then I went in a tangent. No, absolutely. Forever. You go for it. I was just going to respond to the idea that um, she, that April felt that the doctor should have more opportunities to try and discover cures to stuff. And so I think the modules um, haven't been providing that. Yeah. Definitely. So um, I look like Medical research in general. Medical you know? research. Yeah. Not just curing wounds, but, but yeah. I'm, you had um, a lot to do in this module related to detecting life signs, I guess. We sort of like decided yeah. that the, the science officer should be detecting power sources where the medical officer maybe could be the one detecting where all the life is at. Yeah. So that gave you a lot to do, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I think in um, some of the episode we did that we haven't talked about yet that we did after this one, um, I got to do a little bit more of that as well, which was nice. Yeah. Look forward to our next episode, dear. Yeah, Lester. we're in a time warp, so we we did we ran two adventures, and now we're we're uh, catching up with the podcast. Mm -hmm. Philip, what do you think about that? About defining roles better and things like that? Does it help you as a DM when the characters have more specific um, roles or specific things that their character is expert in? 
Yeah. Well, it's a juggling act because we have so many players. Yeah. I think probably a lot yeah. of groups will have three to five players where we have, what, eight? So there is there's going to be overlap, and I think it's kind of neat um, the way we've generated the characters, where there is some overlap in the skills. And we did a thing recently where I let you guys all pick a new skill um, to help define your character a bit. But I didn't want to do it where you like traded out your old skills because I thought that lent some um, verisimilitude or some like depth to the to the world where the characters aren't necessarily like super. Um, uh, pigeonholed in different um, areas. Yeah, I mean it, it's tricky with the with the um, rank system when when Dave is at the top and he also has some of the skills and he's just like, well, I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to pilot the shuttlecraft. I'm going to do the navigation rules. I'm going to do the you know planetary uh, checks. Um, so 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 we need to find a way of of uh, keeping Dave in check. Maybe putting him on trial yeah. more, but uh, <laughs> I um, love you, Dave. If you're listening, <laughs> Dave is the best. I, I love how yeah, into so. it he is. You guys, uh, I really well, do. Well, and that's part Unbounded of why enthusiasm. He, that's also part of why he does have so much to say, and why he, you know, like I mean, when we played, we played with Dave for years and years, and um, he has never been as talkative. And as as into the game as he is in Star Trek because he yeah. just he knows it he clearly. knows what he's talking about and he and he so clearly loves it and just is so immersed in it and it's great I mean he's a great resource in playing oh, yeah. this game and I love it but he does he does tend to take over at times where I'm like I, I want to say something I I never <laughs> thought I would be interrupted by Dave in my life you know <laughs> right. And he, and he cuts me off all the time now. I'm like, I'm so used to giving him, you know, like, oh, oh, Dave's going to say something. What is it going to be? And now I'm like, Dave, shut up. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Maybe we can remind, remind him that he has to delegate next time. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Love yeah. Me. So it's just something we'll just have to negotiate over time. and something the players have to figure out on their own to some degree. And the less that I have to... Uh, oversee the better but you know i'll try and step <laughs> in when i when it help when it's helpful yeah. to try and and spread the you know sp spread the giving everyone stuff to do yeah that makes sense yeah i think too i mean well um, again we'll talk about it next episode but we, yeah. we did we'll talk about this a lot more to kind of to kind of um help with that last time so anyway <clears throat> yeah there are a few um milestones I want to talk about in terms of like looking back at all the modules we've done. All the modules we've done have been introductory adventures. They've all been included within some base set of some RPG rule set. So um, the shuttlecraft crash all the way up through this one. And so this is our, this is, we're, we're getting towards the end of that. Pretty soon we're going to have standalone adventures. This is our last or maybe second to last one. That's an adventure, an introductory adventure. So um, that's one milestone. The next is D&D-ish. We've had um, some D&D-ish adventures before. Um, the first two were very D&D-ish, and then we had more spacey adventures, you know, beaming back and forth between ships and, you know, that sort of stuff. So the Drifting Ring is definitely D&D-ish. Um, 
I think I said before, it's D&D-ish done right compared to the other ones. Um, it's an overland adventure with no real use of the spaceship. I guess we could have done it a little more where um, if we'd done a multi-session, you could have beamed back to the ship at the end of each episode and then beam back down to different areas where you've been before. I sort of mentioned at the beginning that you could do that. Yeah. That could have been done more. It's got tech, which is not specifically like Star Trek tech in terms of like stuff you've seen in episodes before, but it's stuff that the sort of stuff that you might see in a Star Trek episode, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like, Hey, remember the Romulan phaser? Here's the Romulan phaser. It's more like, you know, here's, here's the kind of computers that they use on this particular ship. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, land speeders and, uh, um, the various things to create the stuff on the generation ship. So it was D&D-ish, but like with a little bit of space flavor. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we sort of covered that before, but um, so this is probably the last like really D&D-ish adventure. And that might also be um, harking back to where we're talking about um, multi-session yeah. adventures. This might be one of the last ones that really lends itself to that in that sense. Because if, if most of the adventure is not written in such a sandbox style, then we might not have this feeling anymore of like, oh, I just I really wanted to spend more time just exploring stuff. Most adventures have two to three objectives, maybe just one objective, and you either do it or you don't do it. Did this module have objectives? Like, did it state objectives? No. Okay. It wasn't written like that at all. Interesting. Obviously, like objectives emerged, like it was clear when you were done with the adventure because you had turned everything on. But yeah, um, yeah. it was just kind of like explore everything and like do everything. I think was basically the gist of it. Yeah, and I think I, I wanted to. So in that, they did a good job. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it made me feel like exploring would be fun. Has anybody else reviewed this? Has anybody else? anything on the internet um i forgot i yeah i don't know people people have been playing this um since robert st john translated it certainly um people in the old school rpg community have a high opinion of it but um i haven't read they, any reviews of it but they do have a high opinion of it yeah that's cool that's got a lot going for it i mean there's really nothing wrong with it like with the some of the other ones we've played if you compare this to the one with the Tribbles, which was also an overland yeah. thing, also you know had some adventure and stuff, it wasn't it wasn't sandboxy at all, yeah. and it also uh, I don't know, not a fan. Do you think we should score it? Wasn't flexible it enough. Yeah, well, hold on. I have a few more things to talk about. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. This is I'm this sorry. is a long this has been a long one, but again with lots of diversions. <laughs> Yes, well. Sorry. It's introductory. It's D&D-ish. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about was, is um, how many of the, of the modules we've played assume you're playing as the Enterprise crew. And, and all, of, all of them have, except for In the Presence of My Enemies, which is the last one that we did with the Klingon, where, where you're trying to um, get off the Klingon ship. Mm. That one was not written to assume you were playing as the Enterprise but all of the rest have, including this one. And it doesn't, doesn't didn't seem to really matter in most of them. 
um, except maybe the triples one. It could have helped, you know, if, if it was like, if you were Kirk, then you would have a different reaction to Cyrano Jones than just if you were some guy like, oh, hey, it's Cyrano Jones, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, most of them, it seems to be pretty portable. I mean, it's the same sort of format with our cast, right? We're a ship and we have a captain and a science officer or whatever. But it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting to me that most of them had this idea that you would just be playing as the Enterprise crew. And we kind of considered that at the beginning, but we thought it would be cooler to make our own characters. I'm so glad we didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we made our own characters. Totally. Same. Totally. Um, next is whether this whether um, a module is a sequel to an episode. And I've griped about this before. A lot of them are just like straight up one-to-one -one sequels. And, you know, we kind of like it, kind of don't like it. Um, In the Presence of My Enemies was also the first one to me, which was not really a direct sequel or a remake of a TV, TV episode. Mm -hmm. Unless you count just like the fact that there were Klingons in it. The Klingons are just kind of like a, gen a general part of the format of the series. Um, so there was there were no TV episodes in which you were trying to escape from a Klingon vessel. So that was kind of original. And The Drifting Ring um, also was not a sequel, I would say. It takes a worthy sci-fi element um, that they could have done in Star Trek. And they kind of did in um, for the world is hollow, and I've touched the sky, but but uh, kind of unambitiously, I'd say, compared to what they did in this uh, module. Yeah. And and the way they did in the module, they weren't harking back to that episode at all, oh, or, to any, or to any or to any. Feel like that episode. Right. It wasn't harking back to any particular elements of previous episodes. Yeah. At all, except of course Klingons are mentioned as a sort of off-screen B plot. I thought it was supposed to give some sort of urgency or people or in stasis, I guess. Who's in stasis in the in the show? Didn't we say there are people in with the con yeah. people? Oh yeah. Sure, Space Seed. Yeah. Mm. But that wasn't that wasn't it. That was like something we barely touched on in our gameplay, right? It wasn't like a huge yeah. element of this or we didn't have to wake them up or anything you know mm -hmm. it, yeah it, it was just like uh episode. i'm just I, all i was doing was like that was another element that i could think of an episode that correlated at all you know yeah otherwise so, so it was interesting to i mean i still think it was a good episode to watch just because it established that trope yeah you sure. know and uh yeah whatever good episode well, no it was good and it, it i yeah I don't think this felt like a sequel. I don't think it, it felt like it was expanding on the episode at all. It felt mm -hmm. like its own thing. But it, yeah. it had some elements that felt Star Trek-y, I guess, is my point of bringing up the con episode and like, the people. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. still felt like it was in the right universe. Yeah. Uh, and I like that they were able to do that, where, where they were to, like, this is the first module I'm writing for my game that I wrote, and... And I can kind of think outside the box. I yeah. kind of like that. I mean, it's what it's a thing was, that you, the generation. You said this is nineteen eighty three. This was written. Yeah, nineteen eighty three. This came out the same time as the basically the the FASA RPG with the last three adventures that we've done, yeah. but okay. in Japan, and it and there's no cross pollination. 
Neither of yeah, them looked at it. each other. When was the translation made? Do you know? Uh, about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, I just posted it on his blog. That's really cool. Thanks, dude. Thanks, Rob. We appreciate it because that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys want to score it now, huh? Get yeah, a warp oh, factor. I want to score it. Okay. Who wants to go warp first? Factor. April. Our guest goes first. All right. April, you're familiar with some of the scores we've given some of the other episodes? Are you familiar with our warp scale, one through I 10? So, yes. Um, honestly, I would give this like a 9.5. Wow. I, you know, there, I really felt it was a well-balanced game. I know it's very high score. Um, That's it, so high. I know. I know it's high, but it's just in, in terms of all the other games we've played, um, this is, this was the first game that we played that I really came across being like, I want to play this one more. And to me, that that's what makes a good module. There's all kinds of elements that make a good module, but none of it really matters if you, if you come off the game and aren't like, I want more, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, it, it was a fun night. It was a really fun night. And I, and I think, you know, of course it obviously it has to do with the people's moods as well, but I, I think this module did a good job of, of bringing our moods up, giving us creative ways to think outside the box, um, giving us that sandbox to play in um, and giving, you know, it's all, all different. Anybody who wanted to find something to do in this game could find something to do in this game. Yes. And, and I, um, and, and it, there was lots of different elements to, inspire different types of imaginations and so to me this was kind of an ideal game i really really enjoyed it um and um yeah that's yeah it's it's been the best game we've played so far i think that's a fair point too and it's it's for us it's the sixth episode but for the author it's it's the first one you know what i mean Impressive. we have the benefit of looking back on all the other ones we have to give him the benefit of like he's doing it out of nothing yeah and boom amazing well what do you think sarah nicole how do you score it uh, i'm wavering i'm between like a 7.5 and 8 i think um I definitely had a lot of fun. Um, I liked that it created a lot of opportunities for role-playing and imagination, and there were a lot of fun things to discover and explore. I definitely would have liked to play it more. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I, you know, I, I would love to have some of our listeners play it over like a four session, um, like time period and kind of tell us what they thought of it on a more extended scale. But from my experience doing it in one night, I would, I think I'm going to say 7.5 because I felt the end of it was a little rushed. And that isn't like at Philip or at our gameplay. I just felt like everything came at us fast at the end. Maybe I'm not that's explaining a, That's a very good well. point. No, like, no, that's, that's a very good point where 
No, because the the end part was very, like you said before, very linear. You know, mm -hmm. it it got out of the sandbox thing, and it was like, okay, now we just have to hurry up and find the manual. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah, but it's still a high score for me. Still very fun. I don't know if it's the most fun session, but it's maybe the tie of the most fun session. I actually oh, had a lot of one? fun. I had a lot of fun last week. Oh, that's oh. true. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about that. Later. Can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> um, my my highest score was the um, Ghost of Conscience. I think mine was, that was too, a good right? one. That was a good one. That that was a really good one. That that's wow. that's to me still the high bar. Um, so you say seven point five? I like I like this one better. I yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Why? Um. I just I maybe it's because it was more of a I the the ghost of conscience had that sort of like creepy element. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be there. You know, I was grossed out and like, hmm. I don't know, like, um, and maybe that's just my sensibilities. I, I don't know, the zombies, the whatever, which, I mean, I still thought it was fun. I really enjoyed that one as well. Um, but this but that's, one, that to me, you having an emotional response to it makes yeah. it super good. Well, I, right? that, that's true. That is very true. Because of course um, your character didn't want to be there. No, no, absolutely. Right. And I, did, I, I did really like it, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I was less motivated somehow. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just my experience in that particular game. I just well, didn't, was, I didn't feel as motivated. It, it was an earlier game. I think people were still clicking into characters, but that was a lot of fun. And yeah. wasn't that the first time we split up in groups, in small groups? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, we had been splitting up, but that was like a, the most most deliberate, I think, split up. Yeah. That, that was a cool. Did. That was a, that really was a cool game the more I think about it. Um, yeah. I'm whatever I I I wish I knew what I scored that offhand. Yeah. Cuz I feel like me they're too. kind of this to me. Yeah. This this one because we decided because we decided this one has the potential for multiple sessions. Then I mean, it has more content than any of the other ones. Where the other ones are definitely all single session to me. There wasn't another. There wasn't any other one where I felt like we could have split it yeah. over multiple sessions, other than maybe the Tribbles one. But I really wouldn't have wanted to. No. Um, and um, and so it is kind of hard to rate it against those because, well, two fun yeah. sessions is better than one fun session. Uh, the <laughs> the Ghost of Conscience was clearly like a story like a, a single episode yeah. and this has a lot more potential but um i still feel like ghost of conscience had featured more star trekky elements it just crammed them all in it, without yeah. feeling like it was crammed in um that was the one where dave was trial, right mm -hmm. that was uh, i mean yeah thinking about it now i think i would i would definitely move this down to more of a nine or an, even an 8.5 in that sense with the thing that was the coolest about that was that whole moral dilemma of of what do we do which was very very in the the star trek world yeah you know? and, and it's it very hard to pull off you know in yeah. writing a module in a way that feels like not forced down your throat yeah this yeah. one 
this one it was just it was more of a straight up adventure you yeah. could you could fight people you could shoot things and it didn't really matter it didn't really call into question the idea of going and landing on there it was just kind of like welp you don't want the klingons to get their hands on them so in you go and do whatever you want to do um didn't really get even into the question of contact with this actual actually primitive society and and the question of like is it is it right to set them back on course um to you know i don't know i mean it, it is kind of obvious what to do yeah. i guess kirk would have clearly said well all right they're not on their normal course of development so we've got to just you know help them out a little bit but it didn't really bring that up at all well, you yeah. said we got a Starfleet pass for messing with them from Prime Directive because they were going... Didn't, didn't we say that? Yeah, that was right there in the commander's log, which in this case yeah. was written in the module. And all the other ones, you know, I kind of wrote them or Dave wrote them. In this one, it was he was reading it straight out of the module, Good. which is what gave me the idea for all the other ones to do that, actually. Philip, but, have you given us your score yet? No, no. I've not. I'm going to give it a 7. Just a straight-up 7. I think it's... Uh, Excellent, well-written module, and um, and has a lot of uh, potential for fun. It's a lot of the would, right notes. I think this would be a great module if you have a D and D group and you want to do something different or want to see if the Star Trek universe is a place you want to play in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this would be a great like first one to do for your D and D group. Or if you yeah. just want to do a one-off Star Trek and try it out, I think this is a great starter place. Yes. Yeah. Because well, just like sand Sandbox, you can make your own adventure, and there is possibility of moral dilemma if you wanted to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I've been thinking a lot about what would we recommend people do, like which adventure to start with. Because we started with the Shuttlecraft crash, which was fine. Because it because it was unambitious and because it was D and D ish friendly and didn't throw too much at us at a time, yeah. Um, you know, I I kind of thought well maybe most people should just start with Ghosts of Conscience because then it's like boom this is Star Trek right here. Um, this one uh you got to be willing to to have multiple sessions I guess would just be the only thing, especially yeah. if it's going to be your first thing. But yeah, it could I, be a good good uh, replacement for the shuttlecraft crash for sure. To me, I, I wouldn't okay. recommend it in one night, listeners. I not that we didn't have fun and make it work and all of those things, but I I would give it its due and give it more time. Yeah, it agreed. deserves more time. Yeah, Philip, what were you yeah. saying? I keep interrupting you. I love you, Phil. No, I was done. I was just <laughs> saying it's a good replacement for the shuttlecraft crash. It definitely is a three act structure. You're figuring out what's going on, and then in the first one and the second one, maybe you're exploring the three different areas, a little bit more nitty-gritty. In the third one, you're exploring the capital and the shrine. And and the, the tricky part is going to be you don't want the players to discover that capital at the beginning. I was just I was worried about that happening because once you find it, there's really no, no reason to go explore the other areas. You're kind of like, well, all right, let's turn everything on, I guess. I don't know. It seems like it would stunt the the arc of the adventure. Yeah, it seems well, like this this would from from talking to you and and going through all this stuff. It does seem like this would be a the 
the game master would have to really put some thought into into what they were going to do and how they're going to craft it a little bit um, to keep it going. Yeah. Well, he just has to read through it a couple times um, and do his homework. It doesn't really lead him by the nose, which I think makes for a better session anyway, or make yeah. a better a gaming experience if the, if the GM can make it his own by internalizing it a little bit. Cool. Well, I think we've covered everything. So, well, hold on. April, you said eight and a half or nine you're 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 waffling there i yeah i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go down to eight and a half because uh, just with thoughts on hearing your guys's thoughts and um that's cool uh, yeah it, it it makes more sense especially after thinking more about the ghost of conscience and and some of the stuff we did in there that's still a great score yeah and this is still a great oh, module oh i well and the other thing the other thing that i was i was thinking about while you guys were talking is that i I, I actually started off this particular game um, in a really terrible mood. <laughs> really not in a good mood. <laughs> I won't go into the details of that, but I just, whatever. I was in a bad mood. And um, I didn't want to play. I just, I, I was just bad. Um, so anyway, but my point in this is that as the game progressed and as it went on, it was, it was really interesting. It was a good game. You know, and I and it pulled me. It helped pull me out of the bad mood and and made me want to play, even with being interrupted and the game and half of the game going so crappy for my particular team, which <laughs> literally we encountered nothing until we got to the caves. Mm-hmm. So, so even with all of that, I I still you know I still really enjoyed myself and yeah, which yeah, is part of my reasoning for for wanting to give it a high score. Yeah, which is fair. I yeah. mean, look the tribbles. That one should have been fun, right? According to yeah, everybody. I think it to be fun, yeah. And we're fun. Yeah. And we we're, were fun. Looking, yeah, and we could not make it fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It just fell flat. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it just if that that one, I know we've already reviewed it, but it just felt <laughs> so forced. It yeah. felt very forced. Don't it's play that one, like, you guys. Be funny. You guys have to be funny. Be funny. Go. Go. And we've been hilarious in every other one. I know. Maybe and that was like, here's your chance like, to be funny. This time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, let's call that a review <laughs> of the Drifting Ring. <laughs> we hope you like what you heard. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave us a nice review on iTunes that doesn't make me cry. Yes. It really helps us out. Don't worry, guys. Just leave any review you want. Santa Cole doesn't no. read the reviews. She doesn't <laughs> read them. I don't read anything online. Everybody right. just be nice. <laughs> we also want to hear from you. I do I anyway. Yeah, so visit so so our website. <laughs> www.rpgpopclub.com or email us at rpgpopclub at gmail.com Let us know what you thought or if there's a module you'd love for us to review. Uh, what module are we doing next week, Philip? I have a, a dipartite answer for you, Sarah Nicole. How exciting. We're, our next session, we're going to um, actually not do a module. We're going to take a little departure from the formula and we'll call this a... Uh, uh, supplementary 
entry log. to the to the game. Philip's log supplementary. Supplementary. Thank you. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play. Um, we're just gonna dick around in space. <laughs> like dicking around in space. <laughs> we're so, gonna fly what? around and um, and just test out the rules from starships and spacemen, um, which is one of the rule sets that we rely on. And uh, and the main section that we're going to draw from there is called Hazards of Space. So we're going to call this episode the next episode Hazards of Space. And we're, and um, so the eps the the episode of the show we're going to watch for that is going to be the Corbomite Maneuver, which, if you remember, is an episode where they just fly around in space and they're just charting stuff and leaving markers and uh, you know encountering stuff. Remember that one? Yes. Great. And then, and so, so after that, we're going to play the vanishing by, um, well, by the author of Ghost of Conscience. So I'm really looking forward to that one. That's the first standalone module for Star Trek. High expectations. Mm-hmm. Are we watching an episode for that or no? I still have to um, decide what to watch because that, that is definitely another one which does not tie in with any particular episode. So stay tuned. We'll let you know that. in the supplementary episode. Listen to the supplementary episode. You won't regret it. Philip, do you want to tell our listeners, should they prepare any beverages for the next episode? Yes. <laughs> watch the Corbomite Maneuver, and then um, you have to make your own version of Tranya. That's the drink they drink at the end of uh, Corbomite Maneuver. We'll share some pictures on our website of what we made because yes. we were all instructed that we had to create some version of this drink for for our episode. So we'll let you know more about that next week. Yeah. We should even post some recipes. Oh, my Definitely. recipe was just champagne and some juice. Ch ch so. uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listeners. Tune into the next episode to find out. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for thanks listening. Thanks for being here, April. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great. Yeah. Wait. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> bye bye. Do 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 do. Do 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 yeah.